When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hunt, save the queen! Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Pod Save the Queen. Now, we have a slightly different edition this week because, firstly, it's only me. Russell's not here. We're talking about fashion, so he's very upset that he's not here because we all know that he's a bit of a fashion expert. And Anne is very sad not to be here. But I'm going to be talking to author and broadcaster Sally Hughes, who's just written a new book called Our Rainbow Queen. Now, I've been reading it for the last week, and I have to say, Sally, I really, really love it. Um, oh, I'm a huge fan of the Queen. Anybody who's ever read anything I've written will know that I'm a huge fan of the Queen. Um, I love lots of things about her, and I think lots of the things, actually, that you've pinpointed in your book. So if you don't mind, what I would like to do is pick up on a, the points that you made in the beginning in your intro to the book that, that really mm-hmm. resonated with me. Um, firstly, I'd like to say how much I love it, which I think I've said. And I love the point that you make that it's, it's quite outstanding that the royal family member that's least celebrated for her style really is the Queen. And the fact mm. that you've pinpointed this in your book, I think really, really resonated with me. Um, I mean, can you expand on that? Because I don't want to just repeat what you said in your book. So obviously I've read it and made notes on it. Can you kind of explain that? Well, I think that when we think of royal style, first and foremost, people will think of Princess Diana. And that's entirely fair enough. She is the most famous royal clothes horse in modern yep, history, definitely. of course. And, uh, and that's fair enough. And then we think of people like Meghan and Kate. And we think about their lovely frocks. And we think of Meghan at the British Fashion Awards handing out the special award. We think of Kate Middleton selling out... L.K. Bennett with one walkabout, you know, we associate them with fashion. But in fact, uh, when it comes to fashion, the Queen probably has the most illustrious history. She's inspired collections by Dolce & Gabbana, Richard Quinn. All her scarves come from Hermes. She can sell out Lorna handbags. I really um, love that point that you made. Yeah, and I'd completely forgotten that. So obviously um, Sally in her book mentions the fact that at Kate and William's wedding... Um, the Queen carried a Lorna handbag. Now, I think mm-hmm. prior to that, maybe there are lots of people that maybe hadn't heard of the brand. I mean, it's, it's kind of not a brand that maybe has come up through the ranks with young people who buy designer handbags, if you like. But after that, actually, the, the website crashed, didn't it? 
Yeah, but, you know, I sort of love exactly what you just said about Lorna handbags. Young people may not have heard of them. Actually, that's what makes it a very queen label because yeah. it's very quiet. It's very quiet and dutiful and discreet, and it's just all about quality and all about um, class and elegance. It's not about high fashion. It's not about trend, and that's exactly how she dresses. And, in fact, that's kind of a window to how she does her business generally. Yeah, and another point that I that I like that you made in the book was the fact that actually she didn't have the platform that she didn't have the freedom that Princess Margaret, her sister, did. So obviously Princess Margaret could jump on a private jet and go to Paris and have couture yeah. fittings. And of course, everybody she was lauded for her style and she did have incredible style. But of course, it wasn't it, that was a completely different scenario than the, the scenario that the Queen was facing. She had to have the appearance of relative constraint. So of course, when she was faced with putting together her style, if you like, it was a completely different world for her. Absolutely right. So Princess Margaret, I suppose much as we've seen with Harry, you know, has a much freer life. She was able to go off and see and sit in the front row at fashion shows. She was able to have beautiful frocks made for her. She partied a lot and so on. Mm. But the monarch is always going to be living within the constraints of the role. And our queen has done that for longer than anybody in the history of the royal family. And she has to be seen to be more decorous. She has to be seen to be more frugal so for example our queen always wears the same shoes and bags pretty much she re-wears them and re-wears them until they fall apart now obviously margaret would never have done that because she wanted new and fancy things to catch people's eyes but the queen needs to show that she is taking seriously the taxpayers money and so on so there are an awful lot of factors that go into how the queen dresses but there are some surprises too i don't think many people would know that the queen used to wear leopard print for example <laughs> used to wear po poochy swirls you know has been actually quite bold and daring in her time um but for the most part she has to um she has to let her clothes talk more quietly I suppose than other members of the royal family yeah and I love the fact that you talk about this sense of duty that she's had to kind of bring to her wardrobe if you like the the, the attention to detail and we talk a little bit more about that the fact that she wears the, her three quarter length sleeves because she has to she wants to wave to well wishes all the other things that she has to consider well, the list is endless, and I think I think what I would really like people to know about the way the Queen dresses is there are no coincidences and there are no accidents. And so what I learned reading, uh, writing this book um, for other people to read about her was literally everything is considered in forensic detail. So when you read things in, in the papers about, you know, did she mean this? Did she mean that with her clothes? Listen, everything has been thought of, first of all. And as you say, many of those things relate to how she performs her public duties and gives the public what they want. So, for example, the reason she wears colour blocking from head to toe, so top to toe red, a red hat, a red frock, a red coat, a red shoes or whatever, or top to toe pink or yellow, is because she says and has said, well, if I wear beige, nobody will know who I am. She feels that if people have been waiting for up to several hours, often in pouring rain behind barriers, um, that they should at least be able to make out who the Queen is and where she is when she arrives, which is why she wears that kind of full impact colour. She always carries transparent umbrellas so that people can see her face because how annoying to wait in the rain and then not even catch a glimpse of the Queen's face. Of course, yeah. As, as you say, she wears three-quarter length sleeves so that she can um, collect posies easily, shake hands easily. She always wears gloves so that she can shake anybody's hand. She's not passing germs around. 
Uh, all of these things are really carefully considered. She wears the same block heel. She wears some shoes from Anello and David, uh, the same style she's worn for decades. And she calls those her work shoes because she can stomp about in them for many hours, shaking hands and, and meeting people. And she can do factory tours in them. She can walk across fields in them. She can do school visits. She can walk up and down crowds and so on. And so these kind of practical considerations are vital. And they're, they're also vital for the palace. You know, she has to um, carry herself respectfully so all her clothes have weights in them so that they don't blow up, so her skirts don't blow up in high winds. She, when she travels abroad, if she's going to an international event, for example, the Olympics or a Commonwealth event, she will likely wear a colour that doesn't appear um, strongly in many flags to show impartiality. Yeah, we discussed this actually on our last um, podcast, the the state banquet that was held at Buckingham Palace, the decision for for the Queen and for obviously um, Camilla and for Kate to wear white. Do you think that's very much... um, because she doesn't want to... Obviously, colours are associated with certain um, um, political causes, with certain countries, as you say, they're associated with flag. Is it just to remain completely neutral? And it, the statement is, this isn't about us. We are your hosts. You're coming to our... You, 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 we've invited you. And they try to stay... It's to remain almost like a blank canvas. There is that for sure. You're absolutely right in that, that they are trying to remain neutral and that would have been a very conscious decision. But also at state banquets, she will wear a sash and medals. And yes. so a, a pale colour allows those to stand out um, to, to be more prominent. And also it was a white tie event. So the male dignitaries were wearing white tie. And so it was in keeping with that. But absolutely, your your suspicion is correct. You know, every effort is made to not play favourites, yeah. to not be political. Um you know, you, you, you wouldn't see the Queen in red, white and blue, for example. <laughs> not for America, not for Britain, in no, fact. No, I really um, hope not. At a Commonwealth event, uh, she would typically avoid all the colours of the Commonwealth and wear, I don't know, pink or something. Yeah. And I love the point you make in the book that, that the idea that her outfits are logged onto a spreadsheet to space them out evenly over time. Because yeah. as we know, she does rewear her outfit. She is she not does. frivolous. She, you see things being reworn time and time again. You do. It was lovely going through the photographs, actually, and and just seeing the same coats pop up. Certainly, shoes and bags are worn to death until they fall apart. Yeah. Um. But but also coats and hats. You see them worn several times, but respectfully spaced apart so that people don't get bored of them. Um. And as you rightly say, they're all logged and then they're archived because, of course, as our longest reigning monarch, they will be really important historical artifacts one day. Yeah. And so they're they're carefully um archived and logged and and preserved for the future another thing that i really like the idea of in 2016 at the trooping of the color when she wore the neon green that suddenly there was a hashtag that was neon at, at, at 90. 90 and then suddenly <laughs> and the, the, the fact that you know sales of neon went up by 137 percent. i mean i i kind of i was aware that was happening but actually it's, it's when you reflect on these things that you see how significant they were Exactly. I loved Neon at 90 because it shows, you know, occasionally the Queen is so decorous, but occasionally she does something that's quite cheeky and bold, you know, whether it's the Olympics open ceremony um, film or the Neon at 90. She does something quite cheeky and, and it makes everybody sort of turn their heads. Yeah. And I, 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 if the Queen can't make a really bold 
colour choice at 90, then who can? You know, and as you say, I think it's lovely that sales of neon went up because, of course, we think of Kate and Meghan and those sorts of royals um, clearing the shelves in in fashion stores, yeah. but we don't think about the Queen. But in fact, anybody, anybody in the fashion industry, in the beauty industry, would kill for a royal warrant, which only um, are only issued by the Queen and um, Prince Charles. Nobody else in the royal family has a royal warrant. It's just um, the Queen, the Duke of Edinburgh and the Prince of Wales. Um, and any any fashion brand would kill for a royal warrant because it's effectively a license to print money. You have to be very careful to hold on to it, though. Yes, as you mentioned in your book, not everybody has managed to hold on to their warrant. No. No. <laughs> No, a, a, a famous corsetier in um, in Mayfair who was very, very famous for making um, corsetry for uh, Princess Margaret and, and for the Queen. Um, for the, the owner of the shop wrote a book in which she mentioned the Queen's bust. Now, I mean, anybody who knows anything about the royal family must surely understand that that is suicide in terms of your um, your relationship with them. But nonetheless, she went ahead and, and the royal warrant was promptly removed at I the mean, next pass such a crazy move i remember that and just thinking it's what madness. on earth utter utter madness um the other th- i love the fact that you've drawn comparison between um the queen and kate moss i think that was <laughs> quite a clever thing to do <laughs> with the, the analogy that the queen never complained never explain oh god do you know i think this is such an underrated quality <laughs> yeah no I, I absolutely agree with you and it's what i love about her I just, you know, there's an awful lot to be said from my point of view. There's an awful lot to be said for just getting on with it and just bucking up and having a stiff upper lip. You know, we're at a point with celebrity culture where, you know, I I feel that I practically know the bowel movements of reality TV stars. You know, you just know everything. Everything is trotted out in this continuing narrative of famous people and fair play to them, I suppose. But, but. I like the myth and the mystery of yeah. the Queen. And as you I like that she doesn't tell tell you anything. I love yeah. it. That she's the sturdy, dutiful, unselfish type of woman that's fading from British culture. And when I read that, I was just shaking my head to myself and shaking my head to you because I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and I absolutely love this idea that she is this kind of this strong figurehead, this 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 woman that could build a roaring fire pluck a grouse and lamb sheep without even breaking out into a sweat inside her barber. This, the, yeah, the, yeah we, we, we're losing these women. Well, where are these women? I don't see them coming up anymore. And what's funny about that is it's not a class thing. When a number of people have been in touch with me since buying the book saying, oh, you know, that introduction reminded me so much of my grandmother. Now, my my grandmother was a typist in the South Wales Valleys. You know, she wasn't, I'm not from a posh family, but it's a generational thing, I think. There was a certain type of British woman, regardless of wealth, class, class privilege, um, who just got on with things, were extremely tough practical. and fierce yeah. pr- practical and tough and fierce and quite terrifying in their own way because I do think our queen is quite terrifying and I mean that as a compliment I think um, I mean you, you can't sturdy. you can't be in the public eye and be successful and not put a foot wrong without having a very very good strong sense of self and I think just becoming incredibly strong 
and she must know how to say no. <laughs> yeah, and of course there was just that incredible, one of my favourite photographs of the Queen that I really wanted to have in the book, but unfortunately you couldn't really see any clothes in it, of her driving um, a sultan around in her Land Rover. Of course, a sultan who'd never, ever, ever been driven anywhere by a woman and had never walked behind a woman suddenly was being <laughs> was being driven roughshod across the countryside with the Queen in a headscarf and no seatbelt yeah, on. Yeah, it's, it's a really, really good, strong mental image. Now, obviously... The people listening can't you, you can't see the images in the book, but they obviously the Rainbow Queen, our Rainbow Queen. You've presented it in sections of colours that she of the outfits mm. that she wears. Um, I really applaud you because it must have been very hard to edit because we all know I've I've written countless articles on the Queen and there are so many pictures out there, but in every single picture she's either smiling or laughing. Yeah, and that makes yeah. me happy. So I think I think the edit, the edit of the photographs is absolutely fantastic. My favourite picture, not that it's going to mean anyone to, to to anyone unless you have the book, but you need to buy the book, is where she's at Aberdeen Airport in 1974, and she looks absolutely stunning in a teal tweed suit, and she's with her corgis. Oh, I, I mean, there picture. were lots. I'm I'm a dog lover anyway, and yeah. so I I must say the dog the dogs figure quite heavily throughout the book because I'm so biased. But yes, I know exactly the shot you mean that's beautiful and she's got the kind of the blocky court shoes on and three corgis I think and yeah, she's top to toe in teal and a feather hat um gorgeous but yes the dogs I mean dogs do look good with everything don't they and so she, yeah, she she's does. um and she, she loves she's got dogs, dogs in she, lots of pictures yeah and she looks so happy there are a few surprises in here I've completely forgotten the holocron dress that was not oh, yes. a very um that that's not really kind of a queen moment for me but so she does take risks I mean, that was very risky, wasn't it? That yeah. was the Royal Variety performance in Birmingham in, I think that was 1999. And she was wearing this kind of sequined um, harlequin check top and then this yellow silk skirt and a golden handbag. Do you know, it's very camp. That's why I quite liked it. Listen, I you love know, the picture, but it's just, it was quite unexpected and I've completely forgotten about it. It was unexpected, but then I suppose because the Met Ball, when I was um, when I first got the proofs through for my book and I was revisiting them, and the Met Ball had just happened, and everyone was complaining that the Americans had no idea what camp meant, which was demonstra demonstrably true when you saw the photographs. Yeah. I saw that <laughs> I saw that Harlequin picture and thought, you know, the Queen is really, really camp, and that's fun too, you know. And I like it when she embraces her campy side, and that was a really camp outfit. Yeah, I agree really with you. Fun. It was a shock, but and then the other picture that I really like because it just showed she was very very beautiful woman and incredibly stylish and when she was younger I think maybe reflected more the fashion of the time and there's a picture of her at Epsom Racecourse in 1962 and she's wearing what do you call it I mean I, I think they look a bit like old-fashioned bathing caps those hats and it's Ooh, very Elizabeth Taylor. It's the one. floral what cap. Was it? So she's wearing a green suit and a brooch, and then she's wearing a white floral cap. I mean, you describe the hats as caps, really, and they're very Elizabeth Taylor. Do you remember? That's very much the look that she, she made well, famous at the, the same, time. Yeah, they had the same hat maker. There you go. In fact, they shared a hat maker. I, I know that much. Um, yes, loved hats. They were quite daring back in the day. Yeah, they really they were. Very often kind of skull caps and mm. had lots of ornate flowers on them. But I believe, I think when I was researching it, I discovered that that hat, actually, Elizabeth Taylor had worn something strikingly similar and it appeared as though the Queen had seen it and liked it and consulted the same hat maker. Yeah, she does look very beautiful in that image. And of course, there's also the picture of her with a yellow polka dot turban. 
Oh, in nineteen seventy-five. I mean, she looks incredible. She's in Mexico. She's embracing the, the bright colours, and the, it's, I mean, she just looks really, really stunning. Of course, love Maureen's that. And she, she will quite often wear a turban if she's in, uh, or she certainly did if she was in a country where turbans were commonplace. So she will almost always take into account cultural uh, norms um, wherever she's visiting. So on a royal tour, you'll see her in slightly different clothing because she likes to respect local customs. Yeah, and of course, more recently, she's been wearing lots of hats by Rachel Trevor Morgan, who's obviously um, a very established milliner, and they seem to have, have really have a you know fantastic relationship. She's very loyal when she finds people that she knows uh, kind of understand her aesthetic. Obviously, um, talk a little bit about Angela Kelly and how, how important do you think that relationship's been for her? The relationship with Angela Kelly, for anyone listening who doesn't know who Angela Kelly is, is so important. So Angela Kelly was is um, a working-class Scouse woman, in fact, and she worked for the German ambassador for Britain. So she, she, the British ambassador for Germany, I should say, sorry. And the queen was in uh, Germany having, uh, for an occasion at the ambassador's residence. And Angela Kelly was the housekeeper. The queen met Angela Kelly, this was back in the 80s, and struck up an immediate bond with her and asked the ambassador if she could have her. That's an extraordinary Um, story. And so she then offered um, a job to Angela Kelly, who has worked her way up over the past couple of decades. And she is now uh, arguably the Queen's closest confidant, certainly the Queen's closest friend in the palace. Uh, She's some 25 years her junior, I think, perhaps even 30 years. Um, And they are very close. And rumour has it that the staff at the palace can hear their giggles from down the corridor. They are such good friends. And Angela Kelly is her official dresser. She actually now designs probably 40 to 50% of the Queen's clothes. Even though she's not a fashion designer by trade, she's become so au fait with dressmaking and fashion in the years spent with the Queen that she now makes half of her clothes. Um, And what Angela Kelly does apart from dress the queen is she goes out and meets designers talks about upcoming engagements travels trips and so on and then together with the queen coordinates her wardrobe she's also responsible for the archiving the recording of the outfits and so on she's basically in charge of everything the queen wears obviously in full consultation with her majesty it's a huge undertaking and obviously they have this great friendship and of course it was angela kelly i mean that It was her idea for her to become involved with the British Fashion Council, am I right? Yes, yes, and that was a lovely moment, I think, for for British fashion. And it was remarkable that it never happened before. So uh, a couple of years ago, the Queen, you may remember, appeared front row at the Richard Quinn show. And it was so unexpected. Nobody knew it was going to happen. It really was a moment. I mean, what an incredible moment. So she appeared front row at Richard Quinn, um, a a very respected, important British designer, sat next to Anna Wintour, watched the show, and she was there to promote the British fashion industry. And it was wonderful. It really mattered to the industry. I obviously work in the industry, and it was a huge, huge, huge moment. And again, a bigger moment than it would be had it been any other royal. Well, of course, and it it made global news. And, of course, we all know that that Fashion Week is all about trying to get as many people interested in watching and engaged as possible I don't think they could actually they couldn't have had a bigger coup than that 
No, and it's particularly brilliant because Richard Quinn is has so been inspired by the Queen. He's had a collection based on the Queen's country wear before. Um, in fact, Alessandro Michel, the uh, chief designer and creative director at Gucci, the design house of the moment, very much the biggest designer in the world right now, he cites the Queen as a style icon and one of his biggest inspirations. And so I think the fashion industry understands the power of the Queen's style. It may be outside of it. It's a tougher sell. Yeah. Listen, I absolutely love the book and you've raised so many really, really lovely points in Thank there. You. I went through it with my son last night and now I have to ask you, my son says that she looks the best in green. I Ooh. think that she looks the best in purple. What I would just like to know, the last point, your favourite colour that the Queen wears. I absolutely love her in coral. She looks beautiful in coral. Oh, on that note, I'm going to leave you. Thank <laughs> you. I could talk to you all day. Thank you very Thank much, Sally. Okay, You're bye. Welcome. Thank you for listening and until next time. Pod save the queen. 